Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. This is episode 201 of Bitcoin, and I would tell you the time and the date, but since it's not going to be released until tomorrow for you today, um, then it doesn't really make a whole hell of a lot of sense. But if for whatever reason you're interested, it's 11.27 a.m. the 18th of February, 2020. <clears throat> I'm going to start out with a message from Pablo F7Z. Pablo, you gave me some really good advice, man. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read you his feedback because uh, I had asked for feedback and Jeez, Pablo delivered, man. He says, uh, thumbs up that I had no song because he one and one half X's all his pods, so the song always sounds like shit. Thus, I always skip it. No song. Thumbs down, the new release time. Pablo doesn't like the new release time. Sorry, Pablo. EU based here. Your pod was an awesome companion while fixing dinner. Don't mess with my habits, man. Okay, that one, dad, I hear ya. Messing with habits is is kind of a bad thing. However, I I I feel the need to experiment. Uh, like I said yesterday, if I'm if you're not experimenting, you're kind of not living. You're kind of waiting to die in a way. If you're not exploring new things, I mean, we only get this one life. And um, I used to one day. I'm just gonna do this aside. One day I was when I was a little kid. I was talking to my grandma. And even back then, um, you know, and we're talking about ain't the Stone Age, uh, <clears throat> there was news about life extension technologies. It's, it's not like it is now with the whole consortium and Affruminati and Bilderberg conspiracy and tinfoil hattery and like all this kind of what singularity kind of talk. But there was talk about living longer lives through, you know, medicine and science and all that kind of stuff. And I was asking my grand, or I was telling my grandma about it and said, you know, you could live a long time, a lot longer than normal. And she said, she just looked at me. She's like, oh, honey, I don't want to. (laughs) And given, you know, her position in life, you know, now I won't get into it, but she experienced a fair amount of tragedy in her life and she lived to like 98. So it's not like, seriously, dude, or 91 or 92 still. I mean, she lived a, a right to a ripe old age. However, I started thinking the other day that uh, the only reason that I would want to live to be like 5,000 years old is simply to be able to experience planting a tree and not being a small child and being able to see it grow to complete maturity. And complete maturity for a tree, for many trees, especially the hardware or hardwood varieties, you're talking like 120 years, man. I mean, a 120-year-old pecan tree is a freaking sight to behold. You know, a 250-year-old oak tree, 
there's nothing like walking up to something that that is that old and that large because oh my god they get large but you know as 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 far as you know that kind of thing um well yeah there you go so that you know when i get into experimentation and you know the whole thing of experimentation and living it's if you're just waiting to die then you might as well just live the shortest life possible I mean, that would only be fair, right? If you're experimenting and you're continuously learning and you're as high on the learning curve as you possibly can be, that's when you start going, there's so much to learn. There's so much new stuff. It, it is like new stuff is coming out all the time. Bitcoin is only 10 years old. I am barely functional. I shit you not, barely functional. It, there's just too much stuff that's coming out. Continuing on with Pablo's estimation of uh, this experimental format, he says he doesn't like the sound effects. He says, man, I, I know you got a new toy, but you're abusing the sound effects. Oh, okay, Pablo, fine. You, you want some abuse? Huh? You want you want some of that? Yeah, yeah like that? Yeah. How about, how, how about, how about some of that? It's a rooster conspiracy to fuck up the American Those economy and the world. Yeah. You know who's behind Bitcoin? Yep. Yeah. That was for you, Pablo. Just for you, buddy. <laughs> Just for you. No, he's got a point. Uh, that sh- that shit can be overused. I I and I totally get what he's saying. There's a way to do it that makes sense, and then there's a way to do it where it's not cool, and that. But the problem is, is that, geez, man, you know, how do you figure it out? Well, the only way that I can figure it out is to just is to just go through it and pick it up. Uh, there's you can't be good at anything when you first start it. Uh, so hopefully, as I get into this kind of thing, um, it will get better. I, I promise, Pablo. I, I I get you. Pablo also is asking for Kraken FX to to sponsor me. It's always nice when you got somebody who's like you know ringing for you in the corner. Uh, gotta say, man. Okay, now as far as the song, this time what I'm gonna do because there I he brought up a good point. The 1.5x and listening to podcasts, I don't do it because it's kind of annoying. But I get the fact that it is done. <clears throat> it's annoying to me. It's not, you know, whatever it is to you is, is fine. It, all of you. Um, for me, I don't know. I don't like the 1.5X or the 2X stuff. Um, but again, that's just me. However, Pablo's a listener. Because Pablo's a listener, I am going to be moving the song to the very end of the podcast. So that um, when it comes to the end of everything that he wants to hear and he wants to be able to skip the song, he's, he's not going to be fumbling around with trying to get through the song. Um, and I actually think that that's kind of a good idea. Some of the podcasts that I listen to that have music actually put it at the end. Probably a reason for doing that. Just, you know, just saying, bro, just saying. Okay, now, so the community news was all about me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, me and Pablo. So let's get into the morning roundup number one.
Atul Ajoy is writing for Crypto Slate sometime on the 17th of February. Bitcoin consensus mechanisms explained Byzantine fault tolerance. I thought I'd go ahead and lead off with this one because it's always good to get somebody else's perception and commentary on what the hell the Byzantiniums were doing and who they were and all that kind of stuff. So for a long time, most applications used traditional centralized databases to manage their data applications could read and write to a set of databases that was managed by a single entity, a master. But these systems had a major flaw. Reliance on a single entity leaves the database more vulnerable to failures and attacks. Systems that aspire to be fully decentralized, such as blockchains, can't use a model like that to maintain a network of value. Instead, blockchains require the creation of Nakamoto consensus, the Byzantine fault-tolerant consensus algorithm that Bitcoin uses. In distributed computing systems, there must be a way for the system to continue functioning even if various individual components of the system fail. In the case of Byzantine fault tolerance, the distributed systems need to be able to come to an agreement even when certain components fail and are unable to participate in the process to reach consensus. The name is derived from the Byzantine general's problem, a problem that explores the following idea. There is an army split with the two groups on opposing sides of an enemy city. If one of the two groups were to attack the enemy city alone, then the enemy city would be able to outlast them. The only way for an attack operation to succeed is for both groups to ex- to attack at the same time. To do this, the two generals in charge of the two split groups need to come to an agreement on a time to attack the enemy city, but the only way for them to communicate is to send a messenger through the enemy city. Because the messenger has to travel through the enemy city, Neither general can be confident in their message being delivered to the other. The messenger could be captured and replaced by another fake messenger to mislead the other general. In the case of Bitcoin, the generals are replaced by the various nodes that need to come to an agreement. Nakamoto Consensus uses a proof-of-work system to solve that problem. Take the above problem. The label the two army groups, Group A and Group B. Group A's general wants to initiate a message to send to group B regarding the time of the attack instead of just sending the messenger through the city with the message and hoping that it will be delivered successfully the general creates a nonce an arbitrary number and attaches it to the message the combined message is then hashed and sent to the other general if both generals agree on some component of the hash for example that the hash must start with a certain set of numbers The general for group B can verify that the message has not been altered by the enemy city. If the enemy city was to alter the message and hash the new message, it would be likely to not have the same components of the hash that the two generals agreed upon. In effect, this system, a simplified explanation of the proof-of-work algorithm, largely prevents the enemy city from being able to artificially change the message and lead to a flawed attack. In Bitcoin, special nodes called miners work to solve a cryptographic puzzle of finding a nonce such that when the block's content is hashed with the nonce, it fits a certain requirement. When the nonce is found, the node can publish the block with transactions to the network to be verified by the other nodes and to be added to the blockchain. The hash of each block also includes the hash of the previous block so that every block is connected in a chain, hence blockchain. 
To incentivize miners to carry out the process that establishes the security of the network, the first miner to find the nonce and publish the blocks is rewarded with newly created Bitcoin. Currently, miners can earn a reward of 12.5 BTC, but in May 2020, that reward will be cut in half, known as the halvening. He says halving, but we all know it's halvening. The proof-of-work system is not perfect. A 51% attack is when a group of miners controls over 50% of the Bitcoin's network mining hash rate, which allows them to control the Bitcoin block verifications. I'm going to stop right there because we kind of know a little bit about that. However, that's not entirely true, but I'm not going to get into why. That is best left for people like, uh, you know, Bitstein and some of the other, uh, some of the other hardcore Bitcoin nerds. And I, I say that with all the love possible that you could ever say that. So I'm going to move on. However, before I do, the whole thing with uh, the uh, Byzantine fault tolerance is something to really explore as to why this whole thing works. I mean, that's, I use, you know, usually I will say that the most important component for me in, in Bitcoin is the difficulty adjustment, uh, given the hash rate over a two week period. There's something that's just magic about that, but the Byzantine fault tolerance is every bit as important. It's just, it's, it's always kind of confused me. And in this particular case, it's still a little confusing because if I capture the messenger and uh, somehow or, in, well, I guess in this case, what it is, is that if I capture, if I'm in the enemy city and I capture the messenger and then I change the message, then I kind of won't know what to include in that new message because the old message is hashed, right? So it's like just gobbledygook to me. However, the general on the other side of the city might be expecting a certain number of characters or whatever. I, it, the, the, this whole cryptography thing is, you know, can be very daunting to, to actually understand. But given a message and given a certain number of, you know, numbers that you would attach to it, you would maybe expect a message, even though it's gobbledygook, to have a certain pattern that only you recognize. If you don't recognize that pattern, then you know something went wrong and you can figure out a workaround, you know, after that. But sending, I like the whole thought of sending the messenger through the enemy city because at this point, as the nodes in the network are sending messages to each other, the ether itself can be, can be looked at as the enemy city. The only safe places there are is within your node. So for the sake of Bitcoin, run your own full node. It's really easy. Just go to my node BTC, grab a Raspberry Pi and, and get, it, get it going on. Colin Harper is writing for Bitcoin Magazine sometime on the 18th, which would be today for me, yesterday for you. When Je <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. For Square Crypto, the way to Bitcoin mass adoption is open source. When Jack Dorsey founded Square in February of 2009, Bitcoin was all of one month old. In fact, Satoshi Nakamoto and Dorsey were likely laying the groundwork for their respective creations concurrently in the year prior. Ten years later, the two would converge in what now seems like an inevitable collision. Square launched its Venmo-like payment service Cash App in 2013. The application features common stock investing. And in June 2019, it added Bitcoin in the mix of assets you can purchase on the app. That's a little wrong. 
uh, common stock investing actually, as far as I can tell, kind of came after the addition of Bitcoin, but whatever. <clears throat> For a, f a few months before this, in March 2019, Square established an additional business arm, Square Crypto. <clears throat> but don't let the general crypto moniker fool you. This auxiliary, oh God, I can't even talk today. This auxiliary venture's purpose to work on Bitcoin-specific development full-time. Square is hiring three to four crypto engineers and one designer to work full-time on open-source contributions to the Bitcoin crypto ecosystem. Work from anywhere, report directly to me, and we can even pay you in Bitcoin, Dorsey tweeted at the time. Its first hire was Steve Lee, a former Google project manager and a sometimes Bitcoin developer with a handful of commits to his name on GitHub. The seminal hire would be followed by positions for prolific core contributor Matt Corallo, or the Blue Matt, Lightning Labs developer Valentin Wallace, Google software engineer Jeffrey Sisk, that's C-Z-Y-Z, -Z, so Sizz, uh, size, I don't know, and Eric Sosman, a former architect <clears throat> behind Facebook's Calibra wallet for the Libra digital currency. Each of Square Crypto's hires have some experience developing crypto and its adjacent technologies. Its Twitter account often tweets out maximalist takes with a bullish tinge. The only link in its Twitter bio is to the Bitcoin wiper, white paper and its bio instead of some boilerplate message lauding its parent company square to the world reads Bitcoin for all. That bio sums it up, or as Lee put it while speaking with Bitcoin Magazine, quote, what we aim to do is make Bitcoin a widely used global currency. You know who's behind Bitcoin? Putin. Yeah, Putin. With the exception of Corallo, Square Crypto's recently outfitted team came from legacy tech companies, and most of these poached employees were Bitcoin tenderfoots. They may have had a little bit of experience coding Bitcoin, but not as much as a veteran like Corallo. Learning the ins and outs of Bitcoin wasn't an issue. What could have been, however, was a lack of cohesion among the team. Most open source developers are used to a fair degree of autonomy. Corallo, for example, has been the recipient of grants for undirected work on Bitcoin Core before, but most of these hires were, as Lee put it, accustomed to working on focused projects while at their former FANG employers. Quote, from the outset, we had to decide our model and approach and how we were going to organize the team, Lee said. In traditional companies, you work as a team and focus on a project in open source that that's not common per se. Each individual contributor is ever, is ever independent and usually anonymous. We decided that we wanted to work as a team. And what would they be working on? Now, Lee emphasized that the team is focused on open source and the broader ecosystem, in particular, non-custodial and key management solutions. Quote, we feel like custodial solutions will be naturally invested in but there is a long-term risk for Bitcoin when the user experience gap between custodial and non-custodial user experience will widen due to underinvestment in non-custodial solutions because there's not a strong business model associated with that. Indeed, custodial options proliferate in the Bitcoin market. According to figures estimated by Nick Carter based on CoinMetrics data, roughly 4.4 million Bitcoin are held on exchanges. God, oh, that just hurts. Oh. This is nearly 25% of Bitcoin's outstanding supply. Oh, Jesus. And more has entered custody more quickly than Bitcoin supply is inflated. Jeez. Okay, that's just, so 
Shows you the stupidity. For the average user, storing on an exchange or a hedge fund like custodian is simpler than storing their private keys themselves. Lee's fear is that if Bitcoin continues to catch fire, more Bitcoin will fall into the hands of third-party guardians than today's figures. As exchange hacks in the past have shown us, this makes Bitcoiners' holdings kindling for potential disaster. Uh, in order to ameliorate this perceived issue, Square Crypto's team has chosen an area of the ecosystem that features perhaps the most custodial solutions available, the Lightning Network. More abstruse and technically challenging than running Bitcoin Core, the Lightning Network requires a full node to run precisely as intended. Failing this, you can run a lightweight wallet with the Neutrino protocol or use a custodial wallet. Typically, the latter option provides a less frictioned user experience. Less frictioned because the Lightning Network, exciting as it is, is still nascent and clunky. Announced at the end of 2020, Square Crypto's Lightning Development Kit is being designed to make it easier for developers to build on Lightning. In turn, this will hopefully, hopefully improve the UX of Lightning's growing user base. <clears throat> for Square Crypto, it is a chance to make a big impact on one of the smaller sectors of the Bitcoin development economy. It lets our relatively small team have an outsized impact over most of the areas in Bitcoin that need to improve for it to be a widely used currency. We chose the LDK because it's the best way we can leverage our team. If we're successful, the LDK will lower the barrier for entry for a developer building on Bitcoin. When asked if Square Cash's app, or sorry, if Square's Cash app would integrate Lightning using the LDK, Lee emphasized that his team is independent of Square. Of course, he would love to see Square adopt a solution when it's released, but at the same time, he continued, we'd love to see Coinbase use it, and we'd love to see BitGo and Bitstamp and other companies to use it too. Strategically, we want to increase the chances of Bitcoin success to accelerate that as much as possible. If we're able to contribute to that, I think that Square as a corporation will be happy and feel like the investment will be a success. But whether or not this project wows Square's corporate echelon isn't phasing Square Crypto's project plan. Dorsey gave the team a budget to solve problems for the Bitcoin ecosystem, so that's what Lee is determined to do. Quote, what Jack has told us is we're free to decide what we think is best for Bitcoin. Square's commercial interests don't influence us. The Bitcoin ecosystem is our boss, not Square, and the community is our customer. So I get, yeah, that's, that's, a, a, I really like that statement. The Bitcoin ecosystem is our boss and the community is our customer. That's a service based field of view. And quite frankly, it's, it's, that is very necessary in this space. And to, and to stay that way is my dearest hope for the entire community. <clears throat> Now, the Daily Hodl staff is writing for, you guessed it, the Daily Hodl massive cryptocurrency treasure hunt set to kick off in blockchain-based virtual world. Yep, here we go. Decentraland. The cryptosphere is gearing up for the launch of Decentraland, the first ever blockchain-based virtual world promising a massive crypto treasure hunt. Gamers who create an avatar will be able to enter the new metaverse on Thursday, February the 20th, and join a four-day event where participants can explore Genesis City, a virtual world, and collect unique non-fungible tokens from a host of crypto partners. According to the team's announcement, quote, for four days, the public will scour Genesis Cities or City for NFTs, tokens, and loot redeemable for real-world products. 
The team at Decentraland says the launch represents the culmination over, of over two years of development. The fully tokenized economy, which runs on the on the mana cryptocurrency, allows people to build 3D content and virtual scenes from hypno wheels. I think they probably said meant to say hypno wheels. So I'm going to say that from hypno wheels to hummingbirds, bridging the world of crypto gaming and virtual assets. Decentraland says its mission is to create a virtual world that is fully decentralized and owned by the community. It leverages cryptocurrency to power its Ethereum-based platform, creating a new economy for players, brands, and studios that can build and interact with 3D content. A finite supply of virtual parcels of land represented by a non-fungible LAND token allows users to create and manage assets and engage in experiences in their own digital space. Users are also expected to reap the benefits of a world beyond centralized control. Genesis City prevents a, a sole authority from modifying the rules, changing the virtual world's economics, or blocking someone from gaining entry. In the run-up to the big treasure hunt, the platform already boasts over 91,000 plots of LAND traded among 24,000 users and has solicit, solicited an estimated 20,000 creative submissions the public launch will reportedly put $100,000 in prizes up for grabs. What do I say about this? Okay, I'm not just going to completely poo-poo the idea. It's just that, you know, we, what happened with Second Life? And how is this not going to fall basically into the same pattern of crap as, as, as Second Life? Also, the people have this tendency to talk about how they're decentralized when they're not. And it's not that I'm just going to assume that they're lying. I'm just saying that there's probably a lot of people that think that their product or service is decentralized and it's it's really not. And it's not because they're lying. They're just ignorant of their own product and how decentralized it really is. So what happens when somebody at Decentraland decides that they're just going to put up another server and open up more land we will will have to see how their network actually navigates the host of crap that is inevitably going to come down on this but the last thing that i'll say about it is that god if the um, without lightning fast and i mean lightning fast uh broadband connections to your computer shit like this doesn't work very well and i'm not talking about their decentralized you know their quote-unquote decentralized thing i'm not talking about their land token i'm talking about the visual experience of being there the visual experience of being in second life was like it i talked about this earlier like on like uh probably yesterday's show but um if you're if your internet connection is slow and you're on Second Life, as you're walking around, your entire conception is completely blown because you see buildings and, and features not only pop in to the space as you're walking forward, but as you get closer, you can see the resolutions of artwork and, uh, oh, like when uh, shaders and, and uh, graphics and whatnot, you can see them come into resolution as you're walking up to them <clears throat> and there's a very there's a huge disconnect there it is not it is not a, a good experience 
So unless they've solved that, uh, and I don't know how, because it's not like you're going to be able to send everybody a copy of the world and put it on their computer, because that's just way too, A, it's way too much bandwidth, and B, the amount of memory that you would need on your computer, the amount of hard drive space that you would need for just a single island in Second Life would be beyond the amount of, of money that you're going to want to spend. So uh, take caution with this whole Decentraland thing, but we'll have to see how that thing goes. <clears throat> now, continuing with um, games and blockchain, the Sandbox game on Ethereum sells $206,000 worth of LAND, apparently that same token. This is Turner Wright writing for Cointelegraph. A large part of the economy will always remain dependent on gamers. Whether it was parents throwing down 200 bucks for a Nintendo Entertainment System back in the 80s or millions enticed by freemium models, people around the world are drawn in by addictively fun games. Blockchain-based games like the Sandbox are fulfilling these needs for a new generation of users. The Ethereum has been quick to capitalize on its success. The first pre-sale of TSB was in December of 2019, which sold more than 3,000 pieces of LAND, virtual spaces in the game, in four hours. Sandbox announced the second pre-sale on February the 16th. It sold 6,192 pieces of land, bringing in 800 ETH or approximately $206,000. The game has 166,500 pieces of LAND in total, meaning about 5% of the available space has already been sold in these pre-sales. According to Decrypt, among the major buyers are other gaming companies like CryptoKitties, MyCryptoHeroes, Old Skull Games, as well as Dapp.com, a website ranking and analyzing decentralized applications. Games with non-fungible token technology like TSG are the key to mass adoption of crypto. Be careful with that. What started as a mobile creation game with more than 40 million downloads has become one of the most coveted blockchain games on the market. COO and co-founder Sebastian Borget is aware of the effect TSB has had. Quote, the success of the first two pre-sales of the Sandbox strongly validates our approach to building a gaming metaverse, showing the growing interest from creators and gamers in the benefits of true digital ownership that will allow them to monetize their future creations within an open economy. We can see without any doubt that users are ready to jump into our version of the metaverse. End quote. Sandbox is expected to launch in late 2020. However, a third presale of the highly desired LAND may be announced in the near future. So there you go. One thing, one thing that I'll end on, on this whole gaming and, and blockchain and whatnot is that games are absolutely the best positioned places for Bitcoin. All the rest of this stuff is just, it's not, it's not really worth it. However, we're not going to be able to get rid of it either. So we got to figure out a way to, I don't know, point and laugh or something or take it with a grain of salt or, or something because this shit's going to continue as people get hacked their, you know, to their NFTs tokens and other things stolen from them because they've realized that they are not on a truly decentralized thing. Then we'll have to see how it evolves. But organisms once they're birthed they have a tendency to grow and there's not a whole lot you can do about it i'm just you know i'm very i'm extraordinarily skeptical of this this entire thing 
but I'm not skeptical of the fact that eventually games are just going to be using probably some version of Lightning Network or either a different second layer on Bitcoin or possibly a third layer, which sits on top of something like Lightning or a second secondary layer. But, you know, it is what it is. Chinese quarantines cash to stop coronavirus. But it's not an issue with Bitcoin, says Cointelegraph's Ting Pang. She's writing this on the 16th of February. It has been reported that China has started a quarantine of its used banknotes to try to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Meanwhile, the crypto community began to pick up on the news commenting that the use of Bitcoin's coin as a means of payments should fix the issue. Hubei province, where Wuhan is located, recorded a dramatic spike in almost 15,000 new cases and 242 new deaths in just 24 hours after provincial authorities changed their method for diagnosing cases on February the 13th, Dovey Wan, founding partner of Primitive Crypto, claimed on Twitter earlier today that the government is underreporting the numbers. BBC's recent report informed of 2,009 new cases and 142 more deaths. According to the official figures, the total number of infected in the nation is above 68,000 and the death toll is at 1,665. Chinese crypto mining facilities allegedly being shut appears to have had little or no impact on Bitcoin network hash rate. The network appears to be performing stronger than ever with hash rates continuing to rise. Matty Greenspan, the founder of Quantum Economics, told CoinGraph that it is hard to estimate the impact on the market right now. How it will affect Bitcoin's price, I really couldn't tell you. At the moment, I don't feel like it is. Meanwhile, a spokesperson for mining hardware manufacturer Bitmain said that they are seeing no impact at all. Yet, that's what I'm saying, yet. While the crypto community is speculating on Twitter whether Bitcoin could have been the answer to the spread of the virus through banknotes, a coronavirus-based ERC-20 Corona coin <laughs> has been launched, according to a Reddit post. Oh, God. According to the website, its aim is to spread awareness about the outbreak. There you go, Pablo. Have at it, brother. Have at it there, man. Have at it. So I can't. I I can't help it. I I can't. Because if I was going to cry about anything, I would be crying about that. Why? Because it's just freaking insensitive as hell, dude. And no, I I'm not a bedwetter or, you know, any of that that whole like losing my mind over stupid shit. But dude, really Corona coin or what are, what are they calling it? Uh yeah. Corona coin. Oh, by the way, it's ticker in case you just wanted to know about how to track this new shit coin is in COV. That is in COV, the newest ERC shit coin on the market. So there you go. Um, cash transporting the virus. Yeah, it can happen. Clearly. I mean, this thing seems to really be okay in an oxygen rich environment. And that's bad news. Really. When you think about it, but would Bitcoin have solved the problem is not a question to be asking right now. If, if we need adoption before that can even become a question. So stop asking stupid questions, people, because honestly, it's just, no, no. DeFi project BZX exploited for a second time in a week loses another $630,000 in Ethereum. Uh. Coindesk's, oh, who is this? Patty Baker, writing sometime today. Well, for you, yesterday. 
bad actors have made off with $630,000 worth of Ether cryptocurrency after exploiting a price feed of the Ethereum-based lending project BZX. Okay, just to be clear about this before I, before I start reading, this is, this is the second time. Yesterday's show, I talked about another one where they got the same thing got hacked using its own oracles and, and all of the, the gaming doorways that it opened up to itself. And here we are not 24 hours later and this shit has happened again. The attack, the second in less than a week, began at just after three o'clock UTC Tuesday when attackers apparently took out a flash loan of 7,500 ETH using 3,518 Ethereum to purchase synthetic USD stablecoin SUSD from the issuer, which they then posted as collateral for a BZX loan, according to an analyst on Twitter. They then used 900 ETH to bid up the value of SUSD through an integrated price feed from liquidity pri uh, provider Kyber Network until the dollar stablecoin spiked to $2.00. Using this inflated collateral, they took out another loan of 6,796 Ether that was used to pay back the original 7,500 ETH loan, pocketing the remaining 2,378 ETH. The total amount stolen is worth approximately $633,000 US, according to Coindesk's Ether Price Index. It, in its entire, the attack took just over a minute from beginning to end. Let me read that again. In under a minute, the attack that cost them $633,000 took a minute. A minute. 60 seconds, guys. The exploiters have left an open loan with half the required collateral now that the SUSD has returned to its dollar pegging. The total amount of Ether locked in BZX lending contracts has nearly halved from 40,000 Ethereum to 23,000 Ethereum since the exploit took place, according to statistics on DeFi Pulse. The official Twitter account for BZX confirmed that at 4.38 UTC, the project had suspended trading after it detected, quote, suspicious transactions using flash loans and, and trading on synthetics. That's synthet-ix. A BZX spokesperson confirmed on the group's Telegram channel the company itself, rather than any of the platform's users, would cover the shortfall. The attack comes days after BZX fell victim to a similar flash loan-based attack where more than $350,000 worth of cryptocurrencies were extracted from the platform. It's unclear whether the two attacks were carried out by the same person or group. The vast majority of DeFi lending facilities rely on over-collateralized loans. Borrowers can usually only borrow around 75% of the value of their collateral. Although that incentivizes users to pay back loans, it also requires lenders to have very high liquidity, sometimes in a diverse range of assets, in order to quickly liquidate loans. Flash loans are instruments that allow traders to liquidate the loans on the lender's behalf. It works by having the trader take a loan out from the lender, this time not posting any collateral, then paying back the borrower's debt and collecting the deposit. Using the deposit, they can pay back the original loan and pocket the remaining funds. And by the way, if you guys can follow that shit, you're much better than I am because this just sounds like a whole bunch of crap. This sounds like it is just, it is the thing that 
when you open the when you open the encyclopedia or dictionary and you say and you want to look for circus or shit show or dumpster fire, this is what's there. I'm telling you, man, this this DeFi stuff is just it's it's gonna get people in trouble. So anyway, that's gonna do it for morning roundup one. Let's get into some vitals and then we shall return. Vital Statistics is brought to you by BitInfoCharts.com. We have a price of Bitcoin at $9,905.37. Bye, bye, bye! We have 324,000 transactions that were made in the last 24 hours, with the number of uh, average number of transactions per hour being around 13,500. Only 980,000 Bitcoin have been sent over the last 24 hours giving an average cent per hour of about 41,000 BTC. The average transaction value is three BTC or about $30,000 US. The median transaction value is 0.029 BTC or roughly around 285 bucks. Block time is a bit low. It's nine minutes and 28 seconds. We have had, oh, I'm sorry, 0.15 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 23 and a half BTC have been taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. Whoa, we've had a bump of 12.18% in the hash rate. That brings us up to 123 exahashes per second. That's 123 exahashes per second. The last time nobody did dick on Bitcoin was sometime today, according to the GitHub last commit for Bitcoin Core. Ethereum is at 280 bucks, Bcash is at 418, BSV is at 307, Litecoin is at 75 and change. Ethereum Classic is under 10 at 9 bucks and 66 cents. Dogecoin took a nosedive at 0.0028 with 24,858 transactions in the last 24 hours for Doge. It looks like it's crawling all over Litecoin's ass. Let's see what my node has to say. Um, let me refresh just to make sure that I'm getting the proper numbers here. My hash rate says uh, 112 exahashes per second. Yeah, 112 exahashes per second. We've got 15.3 megabytes chilling out in the mempool. That represents about 8,700 unconfirmed transactions all the blocks uh all the blocks are full lightning is we have a 11,552 nodes we have 36,000 channels we've had a bump in the network capacity well we've had a bump and a drop it depends on what you're looking at we now have 898 btc in liquidity in the net, in the lightning uh in the lightning network but that now represents only eight million or eight point six nine million dollars of uh, liquidity if you're looking at it from the U.S. dollar perspective. Ten new nodes came online in the last 24 hours. That is a 37 and a half percent drop on a day-over-day basis of the amount of new nodes. But we have had a 14.2 percent increase in a 24-hour period of new nodes or new channels coming online. We have had 201 birthed channels. So that's going to do it for vitals.
All right, Morning Roundup Part 2 coming at you from Christina Combin. She's writing for CryptoSlate sometime on the 17th of February. Global cryptocurrency regulation is turning bearish in these five countries. Now, before I start, I'm going to reiterate my stance that the war on Bitcoin has gone hot. It went hot last week. I want to say uh, Tuesday is when it went absolutely hot, but I may be wrong. Uh, this is basically sort of a rundown on that situation, although Christina doesn't look at it quite so grim as I do. And I don't mean to be grim, but I also don't want to be a complete idiot too, man. Like, you know, the kid skipping down the street, sucking on a lollipop with a little freaking beanie and the damn propeller going on, like not realizing he's walking out into traffic and shit like that. No, now I don't want to be that way, but I also don't want to be completely grim. It's just that you might as well go ahead and consider it a war because it's probably better to consider it a war than be the beanie-sporting idiot walking out in front of the gasoline truck. Okay, so as the cryptocurrency markets are in free fall, <laughs> global cryptocurrency regulation appears to be turning bearish as well. While one SEC commissioner proposes a safe harbor for cryptocurrency projects, the United States Secretary of the Treasury announces significant new regulations. So what gives? The top five countries promising stricter cryptocurrency regulation are as follows. Number one is Brazil. The cryptocurrency scene in Brazil has taken several hits lately. Once thriving and crypto-friendly, the South American country's IRS imposed stricter currency regulation in August of 2019. According to the Brazilian crypto news site Puerto do Bitcoin, from that date, all exchanges have had to report all transactions monthly to the Federal Revenue Service, no matter the amount. They have also been subject to greater compliance burdens. Brazilian cryptocurrency exchanges have been struggling to meet the criteria, but this month saw Access Bitcoin Exchange closing its doors, while another, LatoX, is reportedly in trouble. Formerly, former CPO of Access Bitcoin, Pedro Nunez, said, quote, after the rules of the federal revenue, we noticed a significant decrease in the volume traded within our market. We also feel that the market has cooled for smaller exchanges. Number two is Russia. Russia's stance on cryptocurrencies has been murky at best. Gee, I wonder if it's because... It's a Ruski conspiracy to fuck up the American economy and the world. I, can, I think Dan Pena may, may be right. It's all Russia because Russia, Russia, Russia. With some of the most active traders in the world, major cryptocurrency exchange Binance's CEO, Shang Peng Zhao, said Russia is our key market a few months ago. Binance also added support for the Russian ruble just last week. However, today, according to the Russian news site RBC, the country is now stepping up its stance on AML. That means clamping down on crypto. <laughs> That's right, because nobody's doing jack shit with, you know, fiat. No drugs are being bought with fiat, by the way. Nobody's in the assassination market with fiat. Nobody's like smuggling kids across the border because of fiat. There's not any kind of pornography going on because of fiat. No, it, it's all because of Bitcoin. Okay. That, 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 God, the amount of stupid. The Russian central bank highlighted its plans to adjust banks' roles and their ability to define the criteria for unusual operations when it comes to AML. In other words, opening up its authority to freeze cryptocurrency-linked bank accounts. Yes, of course, because the on-ramps and the off-ramps are the only way they can get us. Well, it's not the only way, but as, as far as they're concerned right now, <clears throat> that is the only way that they're going to go after us. We, we have to have other ways to do shit. We cannot depend 
on anything in the legacy financial system. How that works, I don't know, guys. I'm not the developers. It's up to the developers to hang out with people who know about this stuff. And, th- and this is one of, one of the things that I love about Bitcoin. It's so interdisciplinary. It's absolutely critical that people from several different segments of, I'm not going to say the economy, but for lack of a better term, the economy, like, you know, because it's all about the economy, stupid. People that write code, people that know markets, people that understand banking regulations, all these people have to just had their literal fill of bullshit and sit down in a room together over drinks and figure out a new way. There's got to be something new. This shit can't continue. It just can't. It's like it's like following a zombie. Like it just won't die. And as we've been following it for years and decades and possibly centuries, it's before our eyes. It died, somehow was resurrected, put into a bunch of you know, bandages like a freaking mummy and is still walking around screaming for brains and we seem to never have noticed. And that's what scares me is that we're just following it around like it's always been alive. And uh, frankly, no, it's not. Because in the United States, we may celebrate the small victories as crypto mom Hester Pierce keeps on trying, yet it seems the U.S. with its current regime refuses to warm to cryptocurrencies. Indeed, as pro-Bitcoin candidate Andrew Yang withdrew from the presidential race, we're left with an anti-crypto misogynist at the helm of the world's most powerful nation, And there's the obligatory Trump tweet. I am not a fan of Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. The president's sentiment has been echoed by the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, Stephen Mnuchin. He told the Senate Finance Committee the United States Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinThin, is preparing significant new requirements for cryptocurrencies. Oh, trying to scare us. I love that. Oh, we, we have no idea what we're doing, but if we use the term significant new requirements... Maybe that will shut it down. No, you're wrong. He added that we'll be seeing a lot of work coming out very quickly and that both FinCEN and the Treasury Department have been, quote, spending a lot of time on this. Gee, I spend a lot of time nursing a damn beer in the middle of winter because it doesn't get warm in the middle of winter because I will drink cold beer outside. I do it. I, I, I like beer. What am I going to do on that? Anyway. He, 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 it's uh, continuing on top of that. The DOJ also labeled Bitcoin mixing a crime last week while the Minneapolis federal reserve president, Neil Kashkari, uh, sorry, Kashkari called the cryptocurrency space, a giant garbage dumpster. Okay. Note that that's when I called the war hot. When the DOJ labeled Bitcoin mixing a crime, I don't think that that's exactly what they said, but they sure as shit, you know, kind of, they kind of pointed that direction. And that's when I called the war going hot. Belgium is number four. Another new development in cryptocurrency regulation comes out of the heart of the EU. Belgium, the country's financial services and market authority, just revealed that it has been in discussions with the government of Belgium to enforce greater regulation on digital currencies for transactions. Senator Jean-Paul Servais, chairman of the FSMA, reportedly stated that the industry is clearly growing at an alarming rate. He urged lawmakers to establish a legal framework for the sale, purchase, and use of virtual currencies and all related financial products. 
That doesn't necessarily mean that cryptocurrency regulation will here will be bearish. However, he cited following the lead of countries like China, Russia, and Algeria, countries that have either banned cryptocurrencies or heavily regulated them. China is last on the list, and they may have doubled down on blockchain technology and announced plans for its own central bank-backed digital currency, but it remains vehemently opposed to cryptocurrencies. <clears throat> no, what it remains opposed to is shit outside their control. It could be a cryptocurrency or a freaking iPhone. It doesn't matter to them. If they don't control it, they get nervous. And frankly, it ain't just China. In fact, when President Xi Jinping came out in support of blockchain last fall, the markets pumped with many in the crypto space calling him crypto dad. I didn't hear that, but pff, I don't know. Beijing was quick to shut that down. The type of... <laughs> The type of ledger that China is interested in is the permissioned one that it can control. Permissionless currencies like Bitcoin are not part of the Communist Party of China's remit. So is there any hope? Well, since India's Supreme Court finally declared that Bitcoin and other crypto assets are not legal, illegal last month, investors are pouring in. Many players are taking advantage here from Binance to OKX announcing local partnerships. It's still somewhat disheartening Though, as we accelerate on so many fronts and regulation remains firmly two steps behind, and that's how we're going to end up winning. <clears throat> this should, I don't know, I, I, I say the war's hot, but I have, I, I, I'm always going to be forever hopeful. I mean, come on, man. Um, all this boils down to is Bitcoin is out of their control. They know they can't. The only way they can in the short term is to completely take the world's internet offline. And you want to talk about cities burning to the ground, take their internet away. The, you can't pay bills. You can't pay your credit card. You can't pay your home loan. You can, but we are so firmly, firmly uh, in, infested with all the connections that the internet has provided us that to go back to sending checks while would, they might work, may not work anywhere close to as well as what we have today with the internet. There's going to be a whole lot of municipalities that internally would just freaking implode because they're so heavily dependent on the internet. This is now more like, and I, I don't want to sound communist or, or socialist, but I'm, it, it's not outside the purview of, of being able to think that it is a public service because it is so heavily used by the public for services. I still don't think it should be regulated as a public service, but it certainly would cause a whole bunch of problems if the entire world's governments all at once sat in a room and decided to turn off a switch. And even then, how much you want to bet there's going to be some way that work, you know, workarounds happen. MeshNet and, you know, one or, you know, like a handful of people around the world that are within some kind of earshot of a mesh net that somehow or another is able to hack into the system. Because when they turn, if they turn the internet off, they won't turn it off for themselves. They'll just turn it off for all us plebs. So keep that shit in mind. But again, this is where I'm really interested in everybody being able to come together in an interdisciplinary way and figure out a way to route around all this crap. Because I think really at the end of the day, there's probably a lot less people in the world that firmly want this kind of draconian control. All the rest of them are just doing their bidding because, hey, 
it's their job. That's how they feed their families. And they're not going to, sorry, they're not going to F that up. Okay. So $95 million in Bitcoin reportedly hitting cryptocurrency exchanges after the disaster that is F coin shuts down. Shows you the stupidity. Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel sometime when, oh yeah, uh, looks like the 17th. Bitcoin exchange F coin is insolvent. You think? The controversial Chinese crypto exchange, which employed a unique trans fee mining model, is shutting down, stiffing traders and investors by as much as $125.4 million in Bitcoin. According to a tell-all blog post published by Fcoin's founder, the biggest problem that Fcoin currently faces is not the problem that the system cannot be restored, but the problem that the capital reserve cannot be paid by users. The internal problems and technical difficulties we face are the result of financial difficulties. It is expected that the sale, or sorry, the scale of non-payment is between 7,000 and 13,000 BTC. Almost instantly, Fcoin's 24-hour trading volume eclipsed the combined sum of the top 10 exchanges on coin market cap, triggering speculation that the exchange was a pyramid scheme. Zhang simply claims that the system ran afoul almost immediately after launch due to an error that caused the exchange to pay out more mining rewards than users should have earned. Don't you audit yourself at any time? It's not like you were running this way for a year I have a very, very hard time believing that you didn't know what was going on. I think more of this story is going to come out, and I don't think it's going to be very pleasant for pretty much anybody that reads it. According to Zhang's statement, quote, With the emergence of transaction mining and 80% of the income dividend, Fcoin explored the entire currency circle as soon as it went online, causing a large influx of users and the old exchanges felt tremendous pressure and were forced to take various countermeasures, which was chaotic for a time. When Fcoin went online in 2018, due to the rapid rise of the transaction mining, it caused a rapid rise so that the first few months of the launch, I personally had a huge income. The book has accumulated to 150 to $200 million US. Yeah, there's only a 25%, you know, accounting error there. Good God, continuing for any startup team, this is a fantastic start. Even at a height that most entrepreneurs cannot reach in their lifetime, old Fcoin users may remember that even a day's dividend was as high as 6,000 BTC. For me, however, it was the beginning of a disaster because the early FT skyrocketed. It set the stage for the long-term decline that followed. That decline, oh, end quote, that decline is now being traced. According to data tracker uh, chain.info, $95 million in BTC flowed to a Bitcoin wallet controlled by Fcoin, with the first transfer occurring on June the 13th, 2018, and the last transfer posting on February the 14th, 2020. The report shows a visualization of Bitcoin from Fcoin flowing through a number of exchanges. Quote, the BTC in address 2 passed through one or two addresses and finally flowed into the well-known exchanges such as Binance, Huobi, OKX, ZB, Bitthumb, Bitflyer, Bitfinex, Gate.io, Poloniex, and so on, end quote. Fcoin's management first suspended trading a week ago following a system loophole prior to taking the exchange offline. Uh, Zhang claims he's launching a new venture to address losses sustained by Fcoin users, quote, I have decided to switch tracks and start again. 
hoping to get up again as soon as possible and use my personal new project's profits to compensate everyone for their losses. I will disclose any important progress of the new project through public channels. And honestly, this just needs to happen to them. Slice and dice, buddy. Slice and dice. Because that's... No. That's, I think this is going to be a huge problem. It's probably going to be one of those zombie exchanges like that thing that's like, what, Quadriga CX? I... The the writing is the same on, on all of those walls, and it never ends well. But Bitcoin exchange Binance is overloaded. CEO says traffic boom is a strong sign of crypto market recovery. Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel. Sometime on the 18th, Zheng Peng Zhao, the CEO of cryptocurrency exchange Binance, says reports of a performance and accessibility issues on the platform are due to an overloaded system. So people trade, Binance goes down theme. It's just such a theme. In the past few days, Binance users have increasingly complained about technical glitches, such as interference or interface errors and delayed updates. In a statement released on Monday, along with a series of tweets, Zhao says far more people are using the platform now as opposed to the last time Bitcoin hit $10,000 and it's straining the system. Quote, it's not the first time Binance faced challenges and it won't be the last time we solve them. (laughs) Nice save, bro. (laughs) We are humbled to have the heaviest traffic in crypto and your support. The difference between BTC 10 grand this time around and the previous times is there's a lot more users now. While this is a solid sign of strong recovery for the crypto market, it also puts a significant load for our systems. Zhao said he's optimistic his team will solve the issues, but it won't happen overnight, of course. Quote, expecting a mixed bag of bashing and support in the comments won't be able to address them all. Busy working on fixes. It's a fixable problem with a combination of short, mid, and long-term solutions. Not everything can be implemented right away, but they will get done. In quote, Binance is asking anyone who believes they were unfairly affected by the issues to submit a support ticket for review. Well, isn't that nice? I'm sure that's going to be fine. That's, yeah, that, that'll be fine. It probably will. It'll just take a long ass time. But every single time Binance goes down and the whole there's a lot more users now than there were. Kind of you should probably anticipate that. I don't know. You probably should anticipate that. But whatever. This one freaks me out. And I'm not exactly sure what to think about it. So let's go through this together. Helen Parts writing for Cointelegraph sometime, oh, I don't know, a couple of days ago. Binance Cloud. To allow users to launch a crypto exchange within five days. Seriously, I don't even, I don't even, I, I, I got nothing for that. I'm looking over at my bank of sound effects. Pablo, I got Jack. I, seriously, dude. Binance's newly released Binance Cloud platform might be somewhat different from what the crypto industry expects the new features to be. After Binance founder and CEO Zheng Peng Zhao first hinted at the introduction of Binance Cloud on February the 8th, the new service has been officially released on February the 17th, targeting users willing to set up crypto exchanges, according to a blog post by Binance. According to the announcement, Binance Cloud will serve as an all-in-one infrastructure platform for customers and partners to launch digital asset exchanges 
based on Binance's industry-leading technology, security, liquidity, as well as custodial services. The solution also supports dashboard for managing funds, multilingual functionality, as well as a range of trading pairs and coin listings. The Binance's new exchange-specific cloud solution will provide users with a method of setting up a crypto platform in their local markets. Jesus, I know where this is going. Binance Cloud's features include crypto spot market and futures trading, as well as local bank API integrations and peer-to-peer exchanges, exchange services from fiat to crypto. The announcement notes, in the future, Binance Cloud plans to add more features like staking, over-the-counter trading services, as well as token issuance with initial exchange offering platforms. Speaking about Binance Cloud in an interview with Cointelegraph, CZ outlined that the new service will particularly target people in regions that are not yet covered by Binance. CZ said that Binance Cloud will allow those people to run their own exchanges in local markets that are far from Binance, both fiscally and also culturally, or just knowledge-wise, to date. Might want to include regulatory in that little list there, CZ. The Binance CEO also told Cointelegraph that Binance Cloud would allow any partner to launch an exchange within three to five days in case other preparations are in order. That's weird. That's a weird sentence. Three to five days in case if, quote, other preparations are in order, end quote. I'm just going to let it go. According to the original announcement, the first major digital asset exchange fully powered by Binance Cloud will launch in early May, or sorry, March 2020. CZ also pointed out that Binance Cloud is the first innovative of its kind, oh, sorry, initiative of its kind, claiming, quote, it's a product suite previously missing from the market. We are eager to share the quality experience of Binance through different brands, communities, and markets globally. Speaking to Cointelegraph, CZ was unsure of who had initially conceived the idea of Binance Cloud beyond the fact that it was not him. (laughs) The Binance CEO added that the origin of the idea is not as important as execution. CZ stressed that Binance Cloud aims to enable everyone to access crypto and contribute to global adoption. CZ went on to say, we want to enable more of our partners to access crypto so that other people can do this together with us in enabling people to access crypto. Jesus, the circularity here is killing me. So the concept behind Binance Cloud is that we want to provide a platform where other people can help us enable access to crypto. So that's really the idea behind it. In quote, the news comes amid a recent report claiming that Binance has applied for a license to operate in Singapore, originally based in Malta, Binance will now purportedly expand its regulatory compliance by acquiring a license from the Monetary Authority of Singapore on February the 16th. Cointelegraph published an interview with CZ in conjunction with the CEO winning the top position in the Cointelegraph's first ever top 100 list. Why they put that last sentence in there is completely beyond my comprehension, but eh, whatever. Okay. What is this? God, it so looks like a pyramid scheme. It it just does. I and I shouldn't be throwing that that around like lightly, and I'm not. But how this is not am the Amway of crypto or will become the Amway of crypto, I don't know. Now, that said, CZ's brilliant. It's just brilliant. It will I it could possibly and very likely crash and burn in ways that we don't know it's crashing and burning. But let's just, let's just say everything, like, let's just say it works. 
100% out of the bag, totally works. You don't run afoul of regulations, and of course you will. But being able to give, like, package my technology and give it to some dude in Venezuela and have that dude service the local community and funnel all that shit up into Binance, again, how that's not Amway, I don't know, or Mary Kay, depending on which flavor of the side of the pyramid you're on, but it's brilliant, isn't it? Think about it. I can't put all I like I'm a guy and I can't put service X in all four corners of the planet. What do I do? I leverage the people that are already trading with me and get them to do it. I don't see anywhere in the story where Binance gets its cut and you know that shit's coming. And the minute that gets released, we'll be one step further to the Amway we all know and love. This strange set of data shows Bitcoin may be about to enter its mass hysteria phase. Okay, guys, get ready. Get ready. Just get ready, bro, because this one, it does. It does. This is Cole Peterson writing for CryptoSlate.com. Because of the size of Bitcoin's markets, its movements are largely guided by retail investors with investor sentiment regarding the market playing a major role in its long-term trends. Investor sentiment is rather difficult to quantify. However, with some analysts attempting to use key phrase search scripts to identify the type of terminology that investors are using when it comes to Bitcoin and crypto, subsequently attempting to quantify an emotional sentiment off of this data. Now, one research group has identified a bizarre indicator of investor sentiment that appears to be predictive of Bitcoin's price action, and it shows that BTC could soon enter the mass hysteria phase. Usage of the term Lambo shows that Bitcoin could soon enter investor hysteria phase. Bitcoin has been caught within a firm uptrend throughout the past six weeks, which has revitalized investor sentiment. It has rekindled hope that the markets may soon see significantly further momentum. My bags. I need my bags to be saved. This growing hope may quickly become hysteria, which is elucidated while looking towards data relating to the usage of the term Lambo on Reddit. Ah. Kill me now. Chartstar, a data-focused trading site, spoke about the close correlation between investors' use of the term Lambo and Lamborghini and Bitcoin's price action, offering a chart. Oh, go, oh, goody, we get to do some TA on stupid shit out of Reddit. Offering a chart showing the striking correlation seen throughout 2017 and 2018. And sure enough, there's a couple of charts here. While looking at the chart seen below, it now appears that the use of these terms is turning parabolic. Oh, Trav. Trav, please come back and grace us with your presence yet once again. We have a parabola. This could signal that investors are about to enter the mass retail hysteria phase that led Bitcoin into a massive uptrend. As recently recorded by or reported by Crypto Slate, Google Trend data also seems to suggest that a flood of retail investors could be on the cusp of pouring into the markets. While examining the search volume on Google related to a few important key phrases, it grows clear that the cryptocurrency's 2020 rally has peaked interest in the markets with searches for phrases like buy Bitcoin and Bitcoin halving, both skyrocketing over the past few weeks. 
Because retail investors are such an integral part of Bitcoin and the crypto markets, it is imperative that their current interest in the markets becomes more of a frenzy than a simply tempered interest in order for BTC to see its next parabolic movement. And I couldn't disagree with that more, but be that as it may, that's, let's see, is that going to do it? Thank God that's going to do it. So apparently we're reaching out to Reddit for our, our, just use tea leaves. Reddit? Really? <clears throat> for all the people that are going to be offended by the following, Reddit's the short bus of the internet, dude. I'm sorry, but no, no, you don't reach out to freaking Reddit. I mean, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to, I'll capitulate a little bit here. If people are saying it and it's a thing, even, I mean, because Reddit does represent a mass amount of people probably some people that need some help, but people nonetheless, and we should, we should be fair to them that they are using words and not drooling and things like that. But honestly, you're really going to try to forecast a bull run on anything because you scraped a few words off of Reddit. No, absolutely not. Pablo, I'm going to get some face slapping sounds in here for you, buddy. I promise. Peter Schiff concedes Bitcoin profitable, but won't succeed as money. Oh God, capitulation yet again. William Suberg writing for Cointelegraph sometime, oh, I don't know, a few hours ago. Bitcoin skeptic Peter Schiff has admitted that holding the cryptocurrency is profitable, but claims it will never compete with fiat currency. In a tweet on February the 18th, Schiff, well known as a fierce Bitcoin critic and longtime gold bug, concluded or conceded that the cryptocurrency in the past 10 years has been a successful investment. Oh, God, that must have hurt to say. Quote, I concede that anyone who bought Bitcoin 10 years ago and sells it today will make a lot of money, he wrote. Quote, continuing, but I never said the price of Bitcoin could not rise. I only said that Bitcoin would never succeed as money. Nothing that has happened over the past 10 years has proven me wrong, end quote. Having recovered the wallet password that he assumed he had lost, Chiff is now once again the proud owner of 0.4 BTC, the result of a donation campaign that sought to endear him to its benefits last year. While the anti-Bitcoin rhetoric has since continued, Schiff appeared noticeably angered during that time that he thought that his holdings were lost forever. His latest complaint, as before, meanwhile, received little sympathy among Twitter users. Bitcoin-friendly travel agent, Travel by Bit, was among the responses, quote, Bitcoin has succeeded as money, end quote, the company wrote. Schiff additionally said that, RT host Max Kaiser had refused to debate with him on this weekend's episode of news review show InfoWars. As Cointelegraph reported, Kaiser used the opportunity to officially change his Bitcoin price outlook from $100,000 to $400,000, I'm assuming per coin. As Saifedean Amis noted in his popular book, quote, the, oh, sorry, the Bitcoin Standard, in terms of technical characteristics, Bitcoin does not only possess the three fundamental attributes required of money, but does not 
but does so considerably more effectively than fiat. Its fixed supply, impossible to manipulate, gives rise to the description of Bitcoin as digital gold, something Schiff has long failed to refute. The idea that Bitcoin can soon usurp the market cap of the world's entire physical gold reserves remains a hot topic of debate. So now we've got Peter Schiff, who's beginning the road of capitulation. I guess he was so pissed off at Alex Jones, who fundamentally capitulated. Alex Jones did it pretty quickly, man. He just kind of started the capitulation path, skipped a couple of steps, and then it was over. It was done. And now Alex Jones, who's had Peter Schiff on his show a lot, and more than a lot. Uh, Peter Schiff kind of is considered a friend of the show over there at InfoWars. Uh, now, I guess Peter Schiff is like, you know, just like, screw it. I, you, what else can you do, man? What else can you do? But tell you right now that as of 12:48 PM on February the 18th, Bitcoin is 50 cents away from $10,000. So since I've been recording, yeah, we, we've had a, a run up anyway, that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Daily Trainwrecked is going to be brought to you today by our good friend Pytor Brabotikin or something like that at King of the Sky GA1. Um, yeah, it's kind of painful, but it's it, this is part of an exchange between. Uh, well, the whole thing was actually started by um, uh, Ryan Selkis, I think. Uh, yeah, Ryan Selkis, two bit idiot is his Twitter handle. Uh, recently he's, well, actually not recently, it's been over a year now that he was bought off by the BSV crowd and either that or Bcash, I can't remember some shit coin. Anyway, he's shilling some shit coin now at some BS, some, uh, Bitcoin fork of some form or another. Anyway, it all started with him. Anyway, uh, King of the Sky decided to say something bad about something that Corey Clipston had said, and Corey Clipston, as you know, is the CEO of Swan Bitcoin and Give Bitcoin. Anyway, let's just, let's, we'll, we'll just read this, this last response and we'll get into the rest of it. Um, it's not costly if I store my value in literally anything else. BTC is a failed experiment and a bastardization of what crypto is supposed to both practically and ideologically accomplish. BT's rise in price is fueled solely by baseless speculation and hoarding. Nothing more. I hope that one hurt. I really do. Let's let's see where this one goes. Apparently, King of the Sky had a problem with Two Bit Idiot saying something, or the fact that he tweeted something about the coronavirus because he's like, "Can y'all stop incessantly screeching over disease that's less potent than SARS and has a 98% survival rate? Y'all sound like paranoid children freaking out over something that." Kills less people daily than the flu in just the U.S. Coronavirus is a classification. Colds fit into it. Well, that was when Corey kind of raised his hand and, and gave a podcast that essentially says something about Bitcoin. And apparently that's where King of the Sky really got triggered, man. Because his first response after that is, 
Gonna keep it a buck with you, chief. I have zero idea what the hell that means. Keep it a buck. I've never heard that. I've heard between me, you, and the fence post, but I've never heard keep it a buck. I don't know what that means. I'll have to look into it. But he says, not at all interested in hearing the prattling of some random capitalist about an obsolete technology whose entire value is raw speculation and can't even manage a real-world transaction per second above 10 without guzzling energy and charging wild fees. Dude, that's like the entire playbook of BCH, BSV, and every shitcoin under the sun, isn't it? All in one tweet. I mean, I gotta give I gotta give King of the Sky some credit here, bro. I do, because I mean he literally packed all the FUD into a single tweet. Nice, nice job. Well, Corey responds, says, as for Bitcoin, highly suggest reading inventing Bitcoin by author. Why buy Bitcoin by author and the Bitcoin standard by, well, safety. One's propensity to store value in the Bitcoin protocol is directly correlated to one's understanding. Ignorance is costly. That's when Pydor goes off into his rant about all this kind of stuff. But then he goes on further, just a little further to say, just try to tell me a single feature of BTC that doesn't get outdone by another project or one that actually tells me it can handle being a globally used store of value given its severe limitations, awful governance, centralization in China, and wild rates of energy consumption. And that's, it just falls to pieces there. I won't go on any further, but literally within three tweets, he's packed in 95% of all the possible FUD that we've ever heard on Bitcoin. So nice job, bro. Again, very well done. I'm just, I'm really, really impressed with that smoldering pile in the corner somewhere over there. Okay, so, uh, Terrible Joke Corner brought to you as usual by Dad Says Jokes. A man walks into a bar with a newt on his shoulder. The bartender says, what an interesting pet. What's its name? Tiny, the man replies. What an odd name. Why do you call him Tiny? Because he's my new. Yes. Yes. Yes, indeedy. I, God, that's just, I mean, that's bad. That's pretty bad. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more funny if you read it because it's like M, you know, minute spelled M Y space N E W T. These do have a tendency to be my, some of my favorite terrible jokes because it depends on like, you know, the spelling and being able to understand, Oh, because like I said, what makes the, what makes a good dad joke is the fact that if you have to fire off some kind of obscure set of neurons in your head to be able to make sense of the horrible garbage that you just heard. That's I believe that's a prerequisite to a high quality, terrible joke. Let's go ahead and get right on into the outro. I need more train wrecks. And I also need uh, feedback like Pablo gave me. I, I really was, you know, if, if you thought I was giving Pablo a hard time or Pablo, if you yourself uh, thought I was giving you a hard time. I, I'm, I was really, I'm really not. I mean, I, I, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate the, um, the feedback that you gave me because it does kind of help 
uh, which is also why I'm going to put the song back here so that you can just go ahead and skip over it. I'm not exactly sure. I, you know, I'm, normally I would put the outro uh, vocals and the outro music uh, like right here as I bleed out into the nothingness and say the, the, the tagline of see you on the other side. But Pablo, you've screwed all that up. You've jacked with my habits, sort of like I've jacked with yours. But nobody can, you know, can fault me for not at least giving it a shot and trying to listen to my listeners. So with that, I will see you on the other side. I am just a poor boy, though my story seldom told. I have squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles, such a promise as... David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.